This is CliffCentral.com. Leader of the opposition from 1999 to 2007. Uh, he led the Democratic Party, the opposition party here in South Africa, longest serving leader of the opposition in South African Parliament since the advent of democracy, and that was a long time ago. He's been a South African ambassador. He now works with both Resolve Communications, K2 Intelligence. He works on reputation management and kind of strategic communications. He's a brilliant conference speaker as well. I've sat and listened to him on the platform, and quite frankly, it's jaw-dropping. Tony, welcome to us all the way from Tel Aviv. How are you doing, sir? I wish you could keep going. I mean, my late mother would love that introduction. (laughs) Well, look, it's more than deserved. I mean, what's Uh, happening in the world of Tony Leon now? Well, actually, at the moment, I'm lecturing to masters and honors students uh, at a major university here in Israel, the Herzliya IDC, on democratic transitions. Why do some countries uh, transfer from authoritarianism to democracy, and why do some slide backwards? So, a lot of that's in the South African story, but also, as you mentioned, your intro, some of the other places I've been to, such as Argentina and the surrounding countries in Latin America, which I got to know well for three years. So that keeps me off the streets, and it's very interesting, and it's great. A lot of international students here from all over the world, and they're very interested in the South African story, as it were, and uh, probably know it quite superficially, you know, a bit about Mandela, maybe to Cloak and not much beyond that. And so this course, although it doesn't exclusively focus on South Africa, it looks at countries like Brazil, uh, which were democratizing at the same time as South Africa was, and uh, other regions of the world. Poland is a very interesting case study, too, of, of, of how countries actually not just switch and why they switch from one form of uh, politics to another, but how do you sustain good, workable democracies and what are the lessons that you can draw from it? So there's a lot of not just uh, literature on it, obviously there's that, but there's some real-time experiences I try and share. So that's keeping me busy at the moment. And then Back home, as you mentioned, I'm chairman of Resolve Communications, which is a consultancy that well, we've now got about 11 or 12 clients, which uh, does two things. One is it does advocacy work, lobbying, if you like, uh, making sure that our clients' position, usually involved in some or other aspect of the public space, is made known, and secondly, uh, is persuasively argued. And the second part of it is, as you say, to communicate a message as to quote the most famous politician of uh, 20th century, late 20th century, Britain, Margaret Thatcher, before you win the vote, you've got to win the argument. So, so we try and assist people with that. And then outside of South Africa, although it relates to Africa, I advise a company called K2 Business Intelligence, which was started by Jules Kroll, who's the founder of the modern world of business intelligence. It's not about spooks and spies, it's about doing the kind of depth research both for on corporates and sovereigns, so that um, they can uh, either go to market or do acquisitions and takeovers, and that either relates to countries or to companies, or sometimes both. And so I spend a lot of time doing uh, presentations for them, usually in London, New York, and elsewhere in Europe, and talking to investors generally. So it's all it's all quite busy and rich. I mean, not rich financially, rich in terms of experience, Michael. Are you allowed to say rich even as an ex-politician? I've got no problem with that. I'm a capitalist through and through. I love what you said uh, in that answer, actually. You said, it's keeping me off the streets. And, and I'm intrigued at many levels because, you know, a lot of politicians 
certainly from our part of the world across Africa, once you leave politics, it's kind of, you know, you retire off to a plot somewhere and sit back and chill, write the odd newspaper column and, and do very little else. You've really reinvented yourself. And many of my guests on the show talk about disruptive change. You know, did you ever imagine yourself um, from those benches in Parliament ever going across and doing what you're doing now, um, consulting around the world, speaking around the world, lecturing at universities in Israel. Was was it a thought that you ever had? Well, not directly, of course. And, you know, I, I, I was decided in my life, Michael, um, I also need to say that, you know, where I meet you is you as power presenter at these conferences. I do about that once a month, so it keeps me... Uh, uh, interested and engaged, and I also write four newspaper columns. So that that is actually the most difficult thing I do because to think of new things to say about every week, which haven't been said before, uh, is quite hard. But anyway, so all of that is is a goes to what I do. But as to whether I thought about it, not really, because. I'm always engaged in what I do at the moment, and I let that absorb me. And I'm very bad at planning for the future. I mean, in the sense that I always decide long. My first decision in life is always what I don't want to do. And once I've decided that I don't want to do something, I then decide, well, what am I going to do rather than sitting in a position and then deciding how am I going to get from here to there? I generally let events. Uh, and some thought take me forward, but I don't consciously plan for it. And I think about my political career, which as uh, a member of parliament for 20 years, as you mentioned, leader of the party for 13. I went to parliament when I was relatively young at 32, and by 52, I'd kind of done that. I'd, there was not much more I could do, and I thought, you know, you, you're just going to become a worn-out husk here if you stay on. So it's quite young to get out of your a main, you know, preoccupation in your life, your main passion when you're, when you're 50 or 52, which I was. Mm. So that's why it was absolutely necessary, not just uh, financially, but from my kind of, you know, well-being of my family and me uh, mentally to go and do other things. And, and then the whole thing that presented themselves, I was made in a bastard, I came back, I started this consultancy with some other people. So one thing led to another. Do you regret not being president of South Africa, for example? Well, when you say president, you mean in, 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 in the politics of South yes. Africa right now? yeah. I can't say that I do, and I have you know, quite a lot of contact with my successors, people like Musi Maimani, who now leads the party, and Helen Ziller, who led it after me. But And I do admire their tenacity in moving forward, what I was so involved in. But I need to say that uh, I don't think South African politics is very dynamic. That sounds uh, it sounds very uh, contrarian because people say, oh, you know, Malayam and all this. But the actual basic grammar or, let me say, arithmetic of it hasn't changed fundamentally. The ANC still got 62% of the vote. The opposition, large opposition party, 22. There's a big gulf. There's embedded corruption. I, I mean, and, and parliament is a very, very degraded place. It was, you know, not going anywhere fast when I was left it in 2009, and not because of that fact, incidentally. But today it is pretty, you know, it's pretty much the D team in, in some ways on the governing side. All the smarter, brighter people, unfortunately, are no longer in public life. They're in private enterprise and, and elsewhere. So politics um, has really, I think, in many ways, the public discourse deteriorated. Of course, 
You could say it's much more dynamic because the ANC is much more open to challenge than it ever was. True. But I, I don't miss that kind of degraded, nasty, uh, unpleasant sort of atmospherics, which um, really is not a serious, sustained debate. Now, I was very much part of that life and that world for many years, but I can't say I miss it today, no. It's a very different world, the world of politics to the world of business in which you're now fully immersed. Uh, do you prefer the world of business to the world of politics, Tony? Yeah, I think uh, I, because in in a sense, the results are more immediate. If you, you know, you politics, you've got to work very hard for a very long time and you might never see the results and it might never happen. You know, generally speaking, I mean, there are a lot of hard luck stories in business and a lot of good, but if you work hard, if you've got a good idea, you, your market share, your market penetration might might be pretty uh, more immediate than it will be in politics. I also find that the, and I, I mean, before I went into politics, I was an attorney, so I had quite a lot of exposure to the world of commerce um, in my previous life. I also found that business uh, is, although there's a lot of regulatory stuff and there's a lot of South Africa's history and burdens do come into the business conference rooms and sometimes into business decision-making, it, you know, either you're going to turn a profit or you're not. And, and that's a much more exacting thing than saying, you know, or, uh, that, that you have to be on the right side of history and so on. So I think there's more opportunity, ironically, in business than there is in politics. And, you know, it sounds uh, a circular argument. This particularly, Michael, for entrepreneurs. I mean, if you've got a good idea, mm. you can get someone to back that idea. You can go into business and you can do quite well. Uh, you can, can't say the same about politics. On the other hand, and particularly in South Africa, a lot of the business economic environment is determined by the political environment. So I don't think you can absolutely separate them into watertight compartments and some of the stuff that Resolve does in the business or commercial environment directly relates to the background that we had in politics because Nick Cleland, our CEO, was also in Parliament and a lot of our clients have to go through parliamentary processes, they have to deal with provincial or city officials, so it does to some extent um, mean if you've had a background in politics you can assist people in yeah. business. You've always been forward thinking as well. When I mentioned to Gareth Cliff here at cliffcentral.com that you were going to be a guest on my show, he went, oh, please remind Tony, he was the first politician in South Africa ever to have a podcast. I mean, you yeah. were keeping ahead of the trends right from those early days, weren't you? Yes, and I need to make a confession. It's a bit like Tony Blair and uh, Bill Clinton, who really did lead the uh, world, um, or the two countries, the UK and the US, into the computer and digital age, they could barely switch on a computer. When I did the, when I was the first politician to do a podcast, and uh, I'm a big fan of Gareth Cliff, incidentally, uh, let me say that I probably never sent an email until I went to, until I left Parliament or my leadership, and ironically went to university appropriately since Facebook was conjured up in its dorms there. I'd never actually used a computer. I mean, I was 50 years old when I used a computer for the first time. Wow. Yeah. And, of course, today I can't, you know, exist without one, and I do all my own stuff. I write my own documents and obviously do all the other things, spreadsheets and so on. But it, I was very, very late to the digital age, even though I was completely open to it. But, you know, when I was the parliamentary leader of the opposition, I had two secretaries used to take down shorthand and typing. I think a 
a vanished art or skill from the from the prehistoric age. Indeed. Now, of course, I think to be without computing skills is to almost to be illiterate in the 21st century. Wow, that's remarkable. So thank you for that honest admission as well. Um, time is against us, but I wanted to mention a quote. I mean, we can't talk about Tony Leon without mentioning Nelson Mandela. Um, and, you know, when Nelson Mandela speaks about an individual that lives long in the legacy, Mandela's quote about you was that this, your contribution to democracy is enormous. You have far more support for all you have done than you might ever have read about. How did that make you feel from Mandela's quote? Well, I did felt very affirming, especially because he actually said that to me and then repeated in public just after I announced our standing down as leader of the Democratic Alliance. And he, in that very forthright and warm way of his, as, as he was often toward me um, and others, many others, uh, he, he went public with that just to say, don't forget all you did. And that was very much in the nature of the Mandela, you know, magic. He would uh, always try and create a circle of... Uh, approval, not for the people who were closest to him, but in many ways politically for the people furthest away from him. And I guess that was one of the you know, major attributes of his leadership about which I wrote in, in my recent book, Opposite Mandela. And um, yeah, but you know, I didn't do what I did to get the affirmation of, of great people like Nelson Mandela. I, I think everyone must do what they do. And if it yields a result, that's great. And if it gets the approval of a icon like Mandela, that, that, that's very nice, but it mustn't be your purpose. Least of all, if you lead an opposition party, Michael, you can't go out thinking, I need the approval of my political opponents. You must get the respect of your voters, and that usually will lead to the approval of a wider circle than you might imagine. I absolutely love it. Tony, time is against us. We could talk all day. Unfortunately, we've got to continue with other podcasts. I have to thank you, sir, for being on the show with us. It's been a real joy. I look forward to seeing you on stages around the world as well. And when you Google or search for Tony Leon, his wit, his wisdom, his incredible passion, all of it is discoverable, thankfully, now on the world of technology. Tony, I've got to say thank you and, and good afternoon to you, sir. Um, this has been in conference with michael jackson with an absolute south african legend that's the quality thanks very much michael cliff central Thank tony you so it's much. an absolute pleasure enjoy the rest of your time in israel sir and for me michael jackson thank you and goodbye cliff central. i've got something important to tell you cliffcentral.com